0: And now ladies and gentlemen Check it out You've Gotta Start Somewhere The podcast that takes you behind the scenes of show business To prove there's no such thing as an overnight success With your host Rachel Corbett. Well, it's been a while since I've been in your ears, but I'm back for a big one because it's the tenth anniversary of a very special show called The Project, and I am chatting to a lady who has been up on stage recently taking the Logie for said show. She's one of the most popular and well-known faces on Australian television. She's also a gem of a human, Carrie Bickmore. Hello. Hello.
1: (laughs) Can you come around everywhere and introduce me like that? Yes, I can.
0: (laughs) Anytime you enter a room, here she comes. I mean you
1: could probably condense it a little bit okay (laughs) i'll
0: work on my delivery i'll see what i can do so everybody knows you and you know you're a very well-known personality but the thing about this show is that a lot of people don't know the beginning part of people's story oh my god what a professional
1: (laughs) i thought i I had it on silent hold on i do it's on silent look at that oh
0: yeah. Well, what's happening? I don't know. Oh, God. Well, for God's sakes, answer it. If my, it's my dad. oh, okay. He
1: helped me start, get my start in radio. He so did. He's obviously heard we're talking today.
0: <laughs> he has. He knows he's going to feature on the podcast. Sorry, everybody. So this is about the beginning of your career and how you got into media. Is, is this something that you wanted to do from when you were super little?
1: So, speaking of my dad, um, he was very involved in Osterio from day one. So down in SAFM in Adelaide, um, he started up that. He was sort of the financial guy behind that uh, with Paul Thompson and as a little girl my parents split up when I was really young and I lived in Perth um, from when I was five I'd come on school holidays to Adelaide to visit him and he obviously still had to work so I'd sit in at SAFM hours on end all day long often underneath his desk drawing or I'd go and sit in where the announcers were and just watch them and I don't think I realised it was all kind of going in at that time but as I got older, I remember my first memory of thinking I wanted to be a journalist was at a party I went to in year seven and you had to come dressed as what you wanted to be when you grew up. And I came dressed uh, as a journalist, complete with beret, because that's what journalists wear, <laughs> uh, and a waistcoat. And I, that was me saying I wanted to be a journalist. Mm. And then I also loved dancing and I kind of toyed with the idea of I did ballet every night of the week for hours and I toyed with the idea of becoming a ballerina and we had a careers advisor come to school when I was in year 10. And she said, what are you going to do? And I said, oh, I'm going to be a ballerina. And then she was like, oh, well, it's a pretty tough thing to make a career out of. I think you need a backup. And she said, what else do you like doing? And I said, oh, I really like talking and I like the news. And then she said, well, why don't you become a journalist? And because I'd already had that in my head, I thought, oh, that's good. It's another person saying I should do that. And so I finished school and went straight to uni and studied journalism. So it kind of feels like, yes, from a young age. I must have just known that was what I wanted to do. Mm.
0: Yeah. Were you conscious having, you know, your dad in the business? Because I think one of the things a lot of people who want to get into media, who feel like it's a bit of a hurdle, they always say, oh, it's who you know and I don't know anyone. Yeah. Were you conscious of that?
1: Absolutely. So I – Did work experience um, at SAFM in Adelaide for two weeks and I used to get up um, at like 4am and it was in the middle of winter in Adelaide and I'd drive there and I'd sit in the newsroom and do all that and I never sort of referenced my dad at all even though everyone obviously knew it was my dad. I remember thinking (laughs) if I don't talk about him, he doesn't exist, you know. And then when I left uni, I was in my final year of uni and our uni lecturer said you should try and get a job before the end of the year when everybody wants to get a job. And so I went to 92.9 in Perth and I sent them a letter but I didn't say my last name because I just didn't want to be associated with my dad because I thought I want to get this on my own merit and they let me come in and do some work experience and I thought that I'd got away with it for the full week you know being there as just Carrie like not attached to my dad and they also knew who I was but I was so conscious of not being just my father's daughter and having you know used him to get in that I ended up doing work experience, I think, for six or nine months for free. I'd go in there on my own accord before uni, 5am, and I'd watch the whole news, um, breaking news roll out. Um, I'd go in there after being out all night partying on the weekend. I'd go Saturday, Sunday and watch it happen. So I just spent a lot of time trying to put in the hours to learn what they were doing and how it all worked. And One day, it was a Saturday, I was in there very hungover and the newsreader at the time fell sick and I rang the news boss and I said, look, she's sick, you're going to have to get someone else to come in and read. And he said, oh, you can just do it. And I was like, well, no, I can't. He goes, you can. I've been listening to you do your newsreads in the news booth. I can hear you out here every time you're in there because I used to go in after the breaking period had finished and just go over and over and over. He said, you do it. Um, And I did it. And then the Monday he offered me a full-time job. And so I'm very aware that they knew of my dad and knew of my association, but I was so conscious of it. I think it meant I probably went a bit over the top in trying to um, work so hard so no one could ever question, Mm. you know, that that's how I got the job. And as soon as Nova approached me to do some work, I applied for a job at Nova in Melbourne, I thought that would be my opportunity to go to the opposition and then I spent 10 years there as my chance to just be me rather than mm. be attached, you know, to my dad.
0: Do you remember what that first news read was like on air? Yeah, it what was it terrifying. Like. <laughs> I held my breath for a full <laughs> two and you? a half minutes.
1: It was horrendous. I was like, ah, and I was like really high pitched. I was like, "Sorry, you went home with a news update and there's been an accident on the freeway. and the... It was just horrible. It was so
0: horrible. Just get through it really quickly. And, and come I remember like pressing
1: grads, you know, to play oh, them yeah. and then thinking they were finished. So I'd start talking and then the woman on the grab would still be talking and I'd be like, oh, and I couldn't time things out. And, and it was like when you have to often time out, Yeah, you, you know, and I'd see the clock with 30 seconds. I'm like, but I've got the last line of the weather to go. And I'd be like, so today's top, well, it's going to be a nice and sunny. I'm like, I can't take another 20 seconds to say it's going to be 15 today.
0: <laughs> Did you, when you first got in to do that work experience at 92, were you sort of from the first day thinking – yeah, this is where I want to be. Loved it. Yeah. I
1: absolutely loved it. I loved that it was so fast because every 15 minutes there was news in traffic. So there was no sitting around. I kind of loved – it was working with the breakfast show, so with FM news, which is why I've always loved sort of the FM format, which funnily enough is similar to the project. Mm. It was the ability to chat and do the news at the same time. So they'd often interject into the news or at the end go, tell me more about what's happened over in, you know. And I got a chance to chat with these funny people on the brekkie shows and I absolutely loved it. And if I had stayed doing that for the rest of my career – I would have been absolutely happy.
0: Did you ever sort of think about going into print or anything or did you? was it radio because that's what you knew and that's what you'd been around all the time?
1: I tried my hand a little bit at print during uni days because we had to do – a portion of each and I much preferred the TV and the radio section. I don't have great grammar and spelling is pretty <laughs> bad. You That's ask Chris, my partner, he's like, I've never met somebody with such bad spelling.
0: You communicate for a living. Get it together.
1: <laughs> I talk. I don't have yeah, to put full stops and punctuation, you know, in
0: my conversation. <laughs> Thank God for that red squiggly line yeah. <laughs> that pops up because if it wasn't for that everything that goes out of my inbox would be an absolute disaster. So you went across to Nova after your time at 92. How long were you at 92?
1: So I started work there when I was nineteen, and I started my first day on air at Nova. It was on my twenty first birthday. When I was so, I was twenty. When I was 21. Yep, yep, good. (laughs) Um, And I'd heard, because Nova had started in Sydney and I'd heard Nova was starting in Melbourne, I thought I want to go and live in Melbourne for a bit and and hang with my dad. And so I applied for a job and uh, Dan Bradley, who was the PD at the time, I didn't sort of hear anything. And then he said, oh, I'm in Perth and I've just heard you do a news bulletin. Do you want to meet up? And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) So we organised a place to go meet to have this like stealth conversation oh, yeah. and we got we rocked up there and all the board from Osterio were there <laughs> having a lunch. They got Dan new. Yeah, and he's like, um, just FYI, I think we need to pick another place and so we went and met somewhere else. And then, yeah, he offered me the job and I came over and started doing the drive news there. And so I'd probably been at Osterio for I reckon maybe two and a bit years.
0: Have you always gone job to job? Has there ever been any stretches where you sort of have been out without a gig?
1: No, I was reflecting because I've been off the project for eight months now having my third Addy and even though I've been doing radio every afternoon from my house and I'm about to say it's been the longest stint of not working but I just said I'm doing radio from my house because <laughs> yeah. I think that sort of sums me up. I've never had a stint mm. since I started working of not working.
0: That's really lucky. But I've
1: also spent a long time in job. Like I don't go from job yeah. to job. Like I was at Nova for ten years you know i've been at the project now for almost 10 years i really like joining a team and then seeing it through i i really that's how i work best i think
0: when you got to nova you were doing drive yeah. with andy ross and i just s-
1: saw him in london actually the other day we were reminiscing about the days when yeah
0: so was that sort of a traditional news role and then you were kind of brought in to play around and yep. then you ended up being a team together yeah yep. Did you find that kind of because sometimes news readers? When I work with some news readers now, and that when we're trying to get them out of news reader mode, it's quite hard because they're sort of like, "Oh, but this is the way that I've been taught to talk." I guess you're doing that from the beginning of your career, so it's not I like think that helped. Yes, yeah, spending yeah. T- fifteen years getting in that groove. But did I also you,
1: think he helped. Right. So he had this way of dragging out another side in me. And I think we became friends. So he knew my points to push to sort of break that newsreader facade down a bit. Because mm. I know what you mean. Like, and you are it's obviously drummed into as a journalist about everything from, you know, your code of conduct, ethics, all of that, to then have someone laughing with you about something that happened when you're in the toilet, you know, 20 yeah. minutes before. Yeah. But I, uh, <laughs> I seem to slip into it quite well. So. Well, but the other thing is just the voice, right? Because the thing about. But I never really had a newsreader voice. That used to be a complaint So, because oh. what happened was when I first started in radio, Nick Nolan, who was the news director at 90.9, said to me, just imagine you're chatting with friends and telling them what's, what's been happening. Mm. So I, that's how I learnt about news. So I didn't learn necessarily all the inflections that come with news reading which ended up being a bonus because when we started the project, they wanted it to feel slightly different. Mm. Um, so not quite so like this yeah. and more just, hey, this is what's been happening. So I think probably that made the switch between reading and then going into the chatty stuff with the on-air announcer maybe a little bit easier because it wasn't such a tonal, you know, and my voice didn't have to change so much.
0: Did you feel like there was a fork in the road? Because you and Andy then did a show together. Was it breakfast that you moved to? or No, you so went we to do stayed drive in together?
1: Drive and it became the Andy and Carrie Drive show and um, – um, I absolutely loved it, but now that I look back, I realised I was completely unprepared for it and probably actually wasn't very good at it. And we went number one, weirdly, and then the next day we went from meeting in with our boss and I um, arrogantly <laughs> thought we were about to get a massive pay rise and we were taken off, well, the, the show was taken off us. Right. And I... Remember being so devastated. And I was just like, what do you mean? Like, I thought the purpose was to go number one. But the purpose is to do a good show. And I think Andy had all these runs on the board. He was the experienced one. And I think even though we had great chemistry and some of the elements of what we did was really good, Mm. I was just so green and I just don't think I was up to the challenge and they could hear that obviously. Mm. And my dad, I remember my dad saying to me, you know, it's the industry, like you just got to, like this is going to happen multiple times in your career. Put your head down, go back in there, don't sulk, keep working hard and you watch things will swing around. And so I did that and a few months later I got offered the job on Rove and I remember, you know, it's taken me probably till recently to turn around and say to Dad, you were right. (laughs) Um, But he was right and I think, you know, I could have so easily, I remember I think in the depths of despair, crying, going, I'm leaving the industry. And he was like, oh, don't be ridiculous. being dramatic, you yeah. know. But I actually think it was really a really, good thing that happened because I wasn't ready and it meant that I had to build up some other skills before I came back to the position to do something like that again.
0: Did you go into reading news for Husey and Kate after that? Yeah,
1: so I started uh, doing Rove and then I moved to Brecky to doing it with Husey and Kate. And I did work with Husey on Rove, so it meant that we had a great ah. relationship. How did yeah.
0: the Rove thing come about?
1: And There's a guy called Rob Brealy who still works at the project who's a brilliant guy. He, They were looking for a news presenter to do this sort of comedy segment and he used to listen to Andy and I on the way home and he said, you know, I've heard of this girl and so they contacted my manager and I still, when I rocked up to that audition, thought I was – because when you watched Roe, Sandra Sully did a news spot in the middle of it but a genuine like straight news spot so I thought they must have been trying to bring that in-house. So when I rocked up to do the audition – And I read the queue, and it was just so odd, the content that was on it. And I remember just thinking, I don't really
0: get it. (laughs) Because it was like comedy news but read like news. it would start straight. It would be like, you know, there's
1: been an earthquake in whatever. And then I'd read the next line and I was like, it's sort of funny, but am I meant to sound like I'm finding it funny? Anyway, I read it really straight and then I got to the end and I said, sorry, is that, you know, did you want me to laugh at the jokes? And they're like, no, 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 just read it straight. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And so I think I left the audition going, oh, my God, it's so weird. And then the next day they rang me and offered me the job. And I was so terrified. And I remember rocking up to the first episode and I took Andy, who I was doing the drive show with, and we were in the green room and I just freaked out. I was like, I can't do it. You're going to have to go tell them I can't do it. I'm going to have a panic attack, be sick, something you have to go tell them. And he's like, well, I'm not going to do that. You're going to go on. And so I asked them if they'd allow him to stand next to the camera so he could be like, you can do this, you can do this (laughs) for the minute. It was only a minute that I was on there for. And so I got on there and I have never shitted myself so much in my life. It was so scary. It was the scariest minute, I think, of my life. And And was he there She sat there with his hands in the air. You know, and then when it finished, he was like jumping up and down. And I did it. And I remember thinking at the end of that, I never want to do that ever again. Oh. <laughs> I was relieved it was over and that was it. I was like,
0: tick, done, moved on. But that's like first one in the contract that you've just signed and you've exactly. got to do plenty more to got go. Exactly, and i to do it every week. And yeah. I think
1: for a long time, every week, I really had to steel myself to do it. Like I was working with, incredible broadcasters and then there was just me, you know. Mm. So it was it was pretty full on, yeah.
0: I used to watch Rove all the time but you're like – it was a long time ago. So was the news segment – because you used to also interact with the guys all so the time. So for the
1: first year I just did the news segment. Right. And then the year after that they said, do you want to become a regular member of the cast? So there was me, um, Pete, obviously, Rove, Husey and Hamish and Andy and we all sort of did different things and then interacted throughout the show but also had our,
0: our individual segments, Husey loses it. Yeah
1: space, all these different things as well.
0: Did you guys get along from the get-go? Because one thing I think about that show that was just part of the reason, surely, that it was so popular was that it just seemed like it was a bunch of mates hanging out on television.
1: It genuinely was. It was a strange thing because I didn't know Rove but weirdly had family connections to Rove. And then, yeah, and like not my family but through my late partner Greg, his Mm. family knew – Rove's sisters and so I'd always known of him but didn't know him but obviously with everything that Rove was going through at that time and I was going through in my personal life I think when I met him I met a kindred spirit in him and so we quickly got along like a house on fire and he became an incredible mentor to me personally and professionally and I say that in a way it's not like we had hours of DMs I Mm. think it was watching someone like him going through what he was going through and get up there night after night be funny, nail it, turn it on when he needed to turn it on and then go home and obviously go through everything he was going through personally. I think I just watched that with admiration and strength and thought, if he can do that, I'll be okay. Mm. So he became a real rock in that way. And, you know, Pete and I clicked from day one and, and Hughie and Hamish and Andy. And it's, I mean, I've had relationships now. I think about it. I've known them all for what is that, like 14, 15 years now? And I'm generally good friends with them all, you know, so it's really lovely.
0: It's nice because you guys have obviously worked together in different shows later on in your career. And those kind of shows where you've started off at the beginning with people where everybody's kind of on a levelish playing field and then grown and your profiles have grown and you've, you know, it gives you a really nice base with people in an industry where sometimes it's hard to meet people and make genuine connections, yeah. you know, because you're not sure what people are in for different people have different motives, you know. So having that where you're like, oh, you liked me before I was anyone.
1: 100%. 100%. (laughs) And we all know each other. You know, we're all complete dags and Mm. we look back at the photos and, you know. But I also think, weirdly, it, it meant I was surrounded. I was kind of protected in the way. I was surrounded by a group of people that wanted me to do well and encouraged me and supported me and it meant that I probably grew myself and took risks and because I felt confident enough in the people that I was doing it with you Mm. know and I think sometimes when you're under fire you can't perform at your best but because I wasn't under fire I think they allowed me room to try things and you know and I'm very 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 thankful for that.
0: And it doesn't happen a lot that in this business you know like it's finding those teams where you do feel protected is like gold because more often than not you're out there as a little solo performer, yeah. like get, copping the blows from left, right and centre, just trying to, you know, zip up your confidence yeah. and get back out there and give it another nudge. So and having, when you're in the
1: team, it's good,
0: yes. but if things
1: go bad, all of a sudden you're out of the team. Yeah. You know? And like with between all of us, there's been times we've worked together, times we haven't worked together, times one of us has left the show, times other ones have joined the show and throughout it all, I can genuinely say everybody has supported everybody in their own unique way.
0: What about the profile shift from that? Because Rove was a massive show, so obviously... You've gone from being behind the mic and radio to actually being your face on TV. How did you deal with that change?
1: To be honest, I think the biggest profile shift was probably from Rove to the project. I think on Rove, maybe it was because it was a time before social media and a time, I mean, I I didn't have, you know, photographers out my house or no one gave a rat's ass what I did or who I was or anything, Mm. which is actually an incredible blessing because I look back and I think if social media had been around when I was learning to do my job, I still wouldn't be doing my job because I would have stopped saying things many times that I thought to say. I would have changed my delivery. I would have changed what I shared. I would have changed what I looked like. All the things I think about now, the stuff that people say to me (laughs) on social media. And instead, I just kept learning from the people around me and sort of looking inwards and going, what bit did I like about that? What bit did not I and growing and changing that way? So thank Christ. I don't know. I actually feel for people starting out in the industry now. It must be really, really, really hard to be true to yourself and not let it get to you because I know as a – grown human now how it gets to me let alone when I didn't know how to do a job.
0: Even visually I know one time a while ago you and I had an ugly off where we found photos of ourselves (laughs) from the very beginnings of our career to see who won the ugly award and I, I'm sorry, didn't
1: won. No because looking back at the time your mullet was wrong
0: (laughs) but at the time it was so right. I was wearing a (laughs) grey mooks vest and my hair was slicked back. I just would never have lasted in this business if there were more of those time photos, like photos yeah. from that time of my life out in the- I
1: feel sorry for a gorgeous wardrobe lady, faults that used to be on Rove because I had this thing where I felt so uncomfortable about my bottom half of my body. I wouldn't wear a dress without wearing pants underneath it. So she put me in a dress behind the desk and so from the desk up you'd see a pretty dress but I'd always have – pants or jeans under my dress. But you still so do that go, on the project. Just take no, but that's for warmth. Oh, right. right? <laughs> that was then because I felt uncomfortable about yeah, myself. Right. And so I'd say – Oh, uh, she'd go, you can just take your pants off and go out because I'd have to walk across the set to sit down and I'm sure people be like, why has she got <laughs> jeans on with that tight-fitting dress? It looks ridiculous. <laughs> um, and so I look back now and it, just the little funny things that I was so worried about after three kids, I'm like, I would take back what that looked like and oh, I'd yeah. have that in a
0: million years, yeah, that body. <laughs> for sure. But you think, yeah, now trying to get away with that or like trying to go through those stages where you feel so insecure and you're unsure of yourself and you've got a battle with trolls hitting you. You, it's much easier to deal with that yep. when you're like, well, I know I'm a decent person and I've tried my best. Like,
1: Well, now whenever I, I put a throwback photo, people give me so much hassle about it. And I think I can deal with that hassle now because yes. I feel confident in who I am. Totally. But had I got that response then...
0: Would have broken I reckon, it,
1: and I reckon it would have made me a very different person. I'm already a, someone that doubts themselves, and you know, doubts all of that. I w- it would have destroyed destroyed any confidence I had. I think
0: you were on road for about four to five years, and then you got the call up for the project. Yeah, did you want to go? No, mm.
1: and I only because I'm scared of change. So when they offered me the job, I was like, no, 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 I'm happy doing my thing. And they're like, this is a really pretty cool opportunity. It's like, no, 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 I'm good. And they're like well, no, we really think you should give it a crack. Um, And then my manager was like, I think you should just give it a try. And now I'm just so bloody thankful I did give it a try. But it takes me a lot to step out of my comfort zone. And I think I was worried that I wouldn't be able
0: to do it. So I'd rather just do something I know I could do.
1: And I enjoyed the job. Like I genuinely just had fun.
0: I didn't actually realise, again, going back into history, I didn't realise there was crossover. I thought Roe finished and then project started.
1: I don't even remember. I feel like there was only a a little bit of crossover. right? I only remember, and I was talking to Craig Campbell, the EP of the project, about this the other day. Shortly, I think, after I started the project, we had a – would it have been 10 years of Rove show or something? Because we were talking about how we've got the 10 years of the project coming up. And he said, do you think you'll do what you did last time you celebrated 10 years of a show? And they had this Rove special where they brought everyone on from over the 10 years, cast members, and they had them on for like 10 minutes and then brought the next person on. And so they went. They started at the beginning, right? And because mm. I came on so late in the 10 years, I was the last on and I was expected to be waiting for about an hour in the green room with a champagne. Only I was in there for about three hours <laughs> (laughs) with champagnes, plural, (laughs) and I walked out on set and thought it would be funny if I grabbed the bowl of M&M's and just throw it in the air. (laughs) So I just threw it in the air. And I remember looking around and I was like, no one's laughing. (laughs) (laughs) And then I quietly sat down. I was like, anyway,
0: so (laughs) (laughs) That fell flat. So I won't be doing that at the 10 (laughs) of the project. I hope, I hope not. (laughs) What did the show, the project, what did the show look like back then? Apart from partially brown, we looked at some old photos from Ryan at the beginning and the set was very brown. Yeah, it's
1: like we'd put an fil- Instagram filter <laughs> yes. on it, like the
0: olden days yeah. filter. Valencia. <laughs> yeah, Valencia. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, yes, and I wore a brown leather jacket that first night just to match the set. Sexy. Um, in fact, I had it in black, brown and tan. So you I still I do rot- that. I
0: could rotate. Rota- s- <laughs> what I s- do you mean? I mean, I saw you just recently bringing like a bunch of jackets and you had like them in every single color. Okay, but not
1: those ones from ten <laughs> oh, years no, ago. No, no. <laughs> no, I just mean hey, when you find a good cut, you stick okay. it. On.
0: That's what I mean. That's what I mean. You just because buy- I do the same thing. If I like something, I'll buy nine of it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but this jacket was a trademark. You know, we were almost thinking about trying to find it so I could do it for the ten years with it on because it was so bad. Um, the first episode is such a blur, and I. Don't plan on watching it till I'm at least 70 because I think it would make me maybe be sick because I would have just been so terrible. And I do remember, as I mentioned at the Logies the other day, at the end of it, Husey saying, well, that's my career done. <laughs> and I was just like, holy hell, if that's Husey saying that, this is me. This is That was fun and that's never going to happen again. That yeah. was me. And then the fact that we got another night and then got another night and another night and thank God Channel 10 gave us some time because it took a long time. I mean, you were talking about it wasn't like we could watch a format and go Dancing with the Stars, see how they do it in America. That's what we're doing here, guys. If you watched it a few times, you get it. We just had Craig Campbell, our EP, going, so this is what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Let's give it a try. And I remember there was lots of newsreads. There was like – Maybe it was a half an hour show, and there was like 20 newsreads in the half hour. Wow. And I'd do a newsread, and then Husie and Charlie would make a joke. And then I'd do a newsread, and then Husie and Charlie would make a joke. So it was just very, like, da 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 da, you know. And it's still, you know, the gear changes, everyone laughs out. We still have some gear changes where we quickly go from one thing to the next. And that's what TV is now. You're just used to things moving so fast.
0: And people back then, want that. People's attention span oh, is like so 0.2 short. of a yeah. second. They're <laughs> like, oh, something new. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we've moved on. Great. <laughs> like, it's perfectly. I was bored. <laughs> yeah. It's perfectly super to today's attention span.
1: Well, back then, though, it was as fast and Mm. we've almost slowed it down a bit, which is a weird thing because we're a fast show. But for back then, it felt so fast. And it definitely wasn't as, I don't know, it didn't spend a lot of time uncovering stories the way we do now, doing investigative pieces. All of that was very different. It was much more of a, the news of the day, let's find the comedy and the chat and react to it. Mm. So it's evolved and changed a lot. And there's a lot of that still in the show today, but with added extras, a lot a lot of things have changed.
0: What was the audition process like? How did it end up being you, Charlie and Husey?
1: So when they asked me to come and audition, at that point, they were planning on having two hosts and then a news person at the end, which is what I was auditioning for, and then a comedian at the other end. So kind of like it is now, but instead of the fourth, as we call it, that rotating person like yourself that comes on, um, (laughs) it was going to be me or whoever is a newsreader bringing the news. And so Charlie and I, because we were uh, working at Rove together, he was a writer on it as well, they got us to sit through every audition. So I sat one end and Charlie sat the other while they auditioned the hosts. And then on the very last day, they were like, actually, you guys have been getting along quite well together. Do you want to sit in the middle? And they'd always wanted Husey as part of the mix, so they brought him in as well. And then I think we'd had the benefit of having three days of watching everybody else try and for us to develop a rapport. And I think they just went, actually, that works really well. And then even from when the show started, I can't quite remember when it was, but after a few months I moved from that news role into hosting it and I think it was more to allow then Husey. It's very hard, I think, to... Do all the heavy lifting plus be spontaneous and funny and bring huge amounts of content, which mm. we were relying on Husie to do. So I think they went, okay, let's take some of the, just the mechanics off Husie so he's got room to play. And they gave them to me. And so in the end, Charlie and I did a lot of the base hosting, you know, the ins and outs of breaks and stuff. And the three of us then just developed this really lovely way of hosting it together.
0: One of the, you know, big parts of the show is the live audience. But on that very first show, there wasn't even one, right? Until Husie was like, it why are there no the people?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and i remember thinking why is he so worried about an audience it's a new show like we don't need an audience and he couldn't have been right more right mm. without an audience the show wouldn't be what it is and the audience uh, it amazes me so that first day they just went around the office and made a whole lot of people at channel 10 come and sit in the audience and then from that day on we've had an audience every single night of the project and i think oh my god like how many people must have come to see the show over the years but he was so right in the sense that even though there's the news element, for the comedy to work, often I've noticed with the guys, it won't be the first joke they make, it's where it ends. It's the fourth or fifth time they go for something or play with something that it really picks up speed. And But you need the audience to give you the reaction the first time to then go again and then go again mm. and play something. And then I think... Across the desk, when you've got reactions from the audience, you're braver and you're willing yeah. to put it out there a lot more. And I, the show would be so boring without an audience. I reckon. Mm. I think the audience is what makes it. And it just he's gives very you very wise to have picked that up.
0: Gives the you the energy too of when course, you're there yeah. to be like, oh, there are people in the yeah, room. I better
1: yeah. Because when you're just talking to a camera, you yeah. forget that there's people watching. Yeah, yeah. So it, it makes you go, I better give a good effort tonight. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. It's were you guys aware at the time? Because one of the things that networks, radio, television, whatever. Don't really do is let something bed in. They don't sort of give things the time. It happens more so in radio. There's a sense of like, oh God, it's not working, drop it. But you know, everybody that's worked on the project and worked on it in those early years said that there were so many kinks that they got to iron out and it was really Channel 10 sticking with the show and giving it the time to develop. Were you aware of that time that you had? Did you ever feel like, oh my God, this is going to wrap up? Like, or did you? I mean, I
1: honestly went in thinking every day was a bonus. So I I think I went in so aware it could end, I was pretty stoked that we'd get another week, you know. And I think because I wasn't wasn't as involved as I am now with the network and I didn't have the relationships I have with them now, I was probably shielded a little bit from a lot of those conversations and I obviously picked up on the fact that our ratings weren't what they wanted it to be and there were tweaks being made to the show. But because I had a young child at the time, I think Ollie was 18 months old, and I was still do i still did three months of Brecky Radio when it first started and then I'd come back and do the project at night. So wow. the days were so long that I think just getting the show to air, working out how to tweak it each day, what we needed to do, then we'd have debriefs like hours after the show finished. So I wasn't getting home till ten o'clock at night and then getting back up at four AM to go to Brecky Radio and then coming home after radio to hang out with Ollie, then going back into the project at lunchtime. It was really full on I think it meant I didn't have a lot of time to question like the bigger picture of how long is this show going to live for? Mm. I just had to get through each day, which is probably a really good thing that I was protected from that because I think I would have then started doubting everything I did and said on air. How,
0: as, as somebody who's been through many radio air checks in their time and it's always like a bit, oh, God, I'm so broken, debriefing every night after oh that, I went home broken every single, <laughs> every single That's night.
1: Every single night. That's so intense. Yeah, it was really intense. Holy hell. Yeah, it, but I think we were so invested in it yes. as a team. We wanted it to be better. So mm get off air and be like, what worked? What didn't work? What do we need to change? Mm. And I can't remember who it was that eventually was like, this is going to kill us all. <laughs> you know, and I think now we know it's every night of the week all year round, right? I yeah. can't even remember half the epi- more than half the episodes we've done, right, after 10 years. But in those early days, every episode's a huge thing when totally. you've only done like three weeks of episodes or mm. something. So we overanalyzed every every inflection we thought about how we could have done that differently.
0: But I guess that does mean you're all trained on the same goal. It's like, of course, yes, yeah. you're just like, how? how can we make that better, this better, and that's an amazing place to be. You you now do the show on radio with Tommy Little. You were hounded to do that by the Hit Network for a long time and you said no.
1: Well, no, it was more that – Gemma from the Hit Network, who is a very persistent woman <laughs> and she knows that I think that about her, she kept saying, I want to do something with you. What could you do? Right. And the option she was giving me, the different job offers, just wouldn't have worked within the day, my project day. So I didn't want to do brekkie hours because the mornings are my time with my family because I miss out on dinner time with my family. And that was just a line in the sand. No matter what anyone offered me, threw at me, whatever, I was like, that is my time with mm-hmm. my family. And then obviously doing later, later in the evening or, you know, drive time, four to six or anything like that would have meant I couldn't do the project. So I just kept saying to her, I want to do the project. So if we can find a way where I can do the show when I'm already at work. Um, And then she said, what about we find, when's your gap in the day? And so I spoke to Craig, the EP of the project, and I said, how would it work if I did an hour show from three to four in the middle of our day schedule and we sort of rejigged things and I thought he'd go, oh, my God, it would be too hard. And he was like, you know what, just do it, you know. And he was supportive of me of me having a crack and trying that and then we built the studio within the project. So I just ducked between the two. And it's been so great for me to flex those muscles again mm. as well and I'm really also glad that I just went, no, it's not right for me these other circumstances because I think sometimes through fear of what if I never get offered it again, you just say yes, yes, yes and then like I know me and I won't do a good job if I'm not coping. And I knew Mm. I wouldn't cope if I added more, you know, another five hours of work to my day.
0: I know when you were getting into that, you were sort of thinking that you didn't want to share so much of your personal life and that has, I mean, that's what you share a lot of on the show. Like, did you become more comfortable with this idea of actually I can give of me? Because there is a sense of protection in a way. You want to keep some things in because how public your life is.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because I felt like I shared a lot on the project already and I think it timed shortly after my Logie speech, it was a couple of years after my Logie speech where that was the moment I went, now's the time to let people in because I think by letting people in, not only can I help change the conversation around brain cancer but I can also probably help people who are also going Mm. through something like that to know they're not alone. And I think sometimes when you're going through something like that, that's not when you can do it because you're just absolutely bunkered down surviving. And I think when I sort of brought my head up from that, I was like, oh, okay, you know, I I now want to talk about it. So I think the radio started at a time where I just had started sort of opening up a little bit more. And from my early Rove days, I mean, if you look back at the clips of Rove, they are me talking about the most personal, weirdest, wacky things that had happened in my week. So I kind of have always done that. I think the thing about the project is so much of it is news and conversation Mm. that you forget – that there's that element as well, you know. And I was looking back, they gave us a list of funny moments from the early days to talk about in our ten year. You know, I don't remember half of them. And I think the second show, I pulled out my chicken fillets from my bra <laughs> and put them on the desk. I mean, <laughs> nobody wants to see that. But like I've, I, I have been quite open about stuff along yeah. the way. I think it's just people notice the radio thing now because it's more contained, and they're like, wow. Mm. Um, but also everything runs through the filter of my family and what they're okay with so even if i will talk about something i stop at the point where i know that would make one of them uncomfortable yeah even with myself like you know i'm giving a lot of myself but there's a whole lot of myself that's still private and mm. will always be private so it's always a fine line for me and working with tommy's great because he knows how how far to push it and when to back off mm.
0: you know you've had three kids now have you ever felt three three I know.
1: Who would have thought that was going to happen?
0: You know what? That makes my my already dying ovaries (laughs) do, die a little more.
1: (laughs) All I will say, though, is. Yes, here we go. No, I didn't know whether I had one, and then I never thought I'd have any more again. And here I am with three. You don't know what's around the corner.
0: I know. That's true. Hey, I want them. It's just like. That's what I mean, though. It's a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, three's a lot. lot. You have to get some stuff done pretty quickly to get three out. And it's, it's a lot. It's
0: a lot. <laughs> do, have you ever felt like worried about how having kids would affect your career? Because it takes you out. Or have you ever felt because from the outside looking in, it feels like you've been in these shows where you've had great relationships, where they've been like, we want to keep you, you know, that really genuinely solid sort of we love what you do, have your babies and we'll take you back kind of Situation that I don't think I've ever really felt like I've been in.
1: Mate, I'm about to go back to the project after 10 years Mm. and I'm still nervous about where my place will be on the show, having been away, having a baby. I don't – I'm not sure. Maybe it does for other people but I think I'll always have that doubt or that worry that having had time away will mean I can't do the job as well or that I I don't fit in as well Mm. all those things. I think I'll always have that self-doubt. I remember the first – I just started on Rove when I felt pregnant and I remember people going – wow, but you've just started your TV career. Like that's like couldn't be worse timing. Mm. And for me, I had the benefit and absolute negative as well of having something so huge happening in my personal life that that took precedent to anything else in my life. So a decision to have a baby was something that was the most important thing for my personal life. So whether it affected my career was the least of my issues. Yeah. Which, thank God, because otherwise I'm sure I would have spent a lot of time going, should I do it now? Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe I'll wait for a couple of years. till. And so I just did it because that was right for me in my personal life. And thank God I did because Mm. I think there's never the right time. I think it's always going to have an impact on your career only in the sense that... There's the yin and the yang. Sometimes I'm nailing work life and not nailing home life. Other times I'm nailing home life and work life's fallen by the wayside because, you know, I haven't coped doing it all. Mm. Um, And I just think that's where we just all – the support is so incredibly important and I just think I'm so lucky to have worked with people around me on air and off air that that have – picked me up and pulled me along mm. and meant that I felt like I could have a family and have a job and that doesn't mean there's no self-doubt it doesn't mean that when I'm off on maternity leave I'm not thinking oh my god you know is the person who's doing my job going to be better than me at it like I think that's just normal Yeah, but I have been supported which has been really really good too
0: Okay I'm getting the turkey baster out Get the
1: turkey baster <laughs> out mate I'll come
0: and help you I'll, I'll do shoulder stand yoga style so that it doesn't <laughs> I think that increases the chance no. Does it? It? So, I think
1: so. And Good. if you turn on your back, it's a boy. Like, we can make <laughs> this all happen. <laughs>
0: That would really take our friendship to the next level, me and shoulder stand and you armed with a turkey baster <laughs> full of somebody's cheese.
1: Look, I'm prepared to help. I mean, I'm not prepared to have it for you because okay, yep. if I never have to do it again, I'd be very happy with yes. that. Yes. Um, but I'm prepared to help any way I can. Okay, actually. I appreciate that
0: greatly. <laughs> um, we're getting to the end here now. I, I wondered whether because when you Google you and Rove, I, one of the things that comes up at the very top is the video of when your top fell off on TV. Does it? Yeah. Yeah, right. I, but I just wondered because you what know, did when, you
1: see when that happened? Oh barely nothing. That. Like oh, there was right. a
0: black brass strap okay, and sure. Pete was doing oh, his I know. Pete was doing his thing and you had Hollywood tape on the oh, Hollywood right. tape yep. came undone. But of course at the project the thing they always play is that grab that clip where you fell off the box or whatever where, when when no, you know what was it? Even on a box. <laughs> <What> <laughs> I was
1: standing on flat ground. <laughs> And how did you fall? Well, over? I was wearing wedges, and oh. they can be tricky—a thin wedge to walk in. <laughs> but I was about to do a cross at the Hopman Cup, and I was holding a mic like I am now with a mic cord and the mic cord was running from where I was back to the camera. And when the cross started, I was standing on the mic cord a little bit with one of my heels, and the cameraman moved the camera, and so the mic cord moved. So I was just a little bit off, like, just a bit wobbly. Yeah. And then the cross beca- began, and they moved it again, and I just went ass over
0: here. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so magic because if you haven't seen it, Carrie's little head <laughs> just Disappears below the frame. No, and I remember
1: because everyone back at, obviously from the project was texting me going, what the hell happened? <laughs> and then when they panned down, I think they were going to see like that I'd fallen off a box or an edge or, you nope. know. <laughs> nope, just <laughs> flat ground.
0: Did, I, I just wondered if you had any top of mind things. Because live TV is one of those things where shit happens, you know. you the time you- I said the C word on air. <laughs> <laughs> Qantas, I'm talking about. Um,
1: <laughs> I think that's why... I've only ever done live TV, right? So (laughs) Rove was live and The Project was live. Mm. I can't imagine. I don't think I'd be good at something where we had to do multiple takes. Oh, no. I think. I am just better at just doing it.
0: You've I, seen me try and take photos of myself. <laughs> I get dead behind the eyes after one. Like, it's
1: like when they, every now and then we have to do a pickup question at the project or something because oh the yeah. audio went funny and we'll do it and they'll be like, Can you look like you're interested <laughs> in the, <laughs> what's happening?
0: What happened to the life in your eyes? God, come back to us. What
1: do you remember you, that app where everything, we had nothing actually? Oh, yeah. Were you on it? I no, wasn't on were, it, but no, you got, but, Fitzy was, and they right. had to
0: act out all of the yeah, news we clips. Lost,
1: we had no vision to run, no auto cue, no packages, no news, nothing Far a minute out. to go to air. And so we ended up, I read the newsreads off the piece of paper in front of me and Fitzy and I think it was Waleed and Pete acted out the news. Far but out. it was so fun and yes. exhilarating. And I was like, that's why I love live TV. Yes,
0: And I think that's why when you flex those muscles for so long, because you'll meet some people that in that situation cannot do it. The eyes go wide. It's like I've only ever dealt with auto cue. I don't know how to ad lib. I can't. So when you've had that practice and you're dealing with professionals who are like, you need me to get up and prepare, pretend that I'm like murdering someone in a back alley and the, as this news story has going, I can do that for you. I mean, you. to be
1: fair, I quickly filtered out the serious stories because I thought there's some stories right. here that yes. no one needs to see <laughs> acted out. <laughs> but I also think it's trust. Yes. I think you have to have trust with the people that you work with and I have trust with those people. I always have had that with the people I work with.
0: What do do you think is the best and the worst thing about the entertainment industry?
1: Um, The worst thing is probably you can't have a bad day. You can't have a day where you're off because then everyone notices that and they report on it and then whatever you've said or done follows you around for the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the best thing is I think the opportunity, the people I've met along the way, both like friends within the industry but – really interesting, unique people with incredible stories that I've had the pleasure of meeting along the way and the gift that I've had to then share their stories and tell their stories. I mean, that they their stories will stick with me forever, the places I've had the chance to travel, that there's no way I would have travelled if it mm. wasn't for a show sending me there to do a story. I think the industry does a lot of good and I think, you know, it's, it's – and I've learnt this weirdly being on maternity leave – Daytime TV is one of the most comforting things you can watch. When you have been up all night with a crying baby, you're alone in a house and you think, I'm the only person in the world doing this, and then you turn on Sonya and David or you turn on Studio 10 and, and you know, see Joe and Sarah chatting and you're like, oh, there's there's my friends. Yeah. And I realise that I know we've got streaming and Netflix and all of that, which is quite an isolating experience watching that on your, on your own. But when you watch free-to-air TV and you turn it on, you know along with people all around the country – you were doing that together. And I think the ability to bring people together like that, you only have to look at when a grand final or something's on or, you know, whatever the, you know, Eurovision or something. And you're watching that thinking, "I." it's like when the cricket's on. Mm. I'm watching that at the same time it's, as all these people in their living rooms all around the country. I think, yeah, the power to bring people together is pretty cool.
0: All right, final five questions, the, the lightning round. Your biggest regret God, lightning round.
1: That's like a, I'm sitting on a couch with my legs up talking to a
0: psychologist. Well, I bloody sat here and my talked to you for 45 minutes. Regret. How warm do you want to be? Mate, we're
1: sitting on swivel chairs with no table in a very cold place. Yeah, I'm not feeling very like, – In your backyard. Um, my biggest regret – I think my biggest regret would be a period of time when I let what people wrote about me affect how I did my job. I, w- I wish I'd just continued to do the job the way I believed I needed to do my job rather than tried to please a lot of other people.
0: Good answer. Your dream gig.
1: I would actually say it's what I'm doing now. It's and that's good. not to say I won't manage to find another gig in which I love just as much. But right now, I don't think I could have ever have imagined getting to do a job
0: like I get to do. Mm. So, Is there a big idea that you have that you've yet to get up?
1: Yes. But I'm not sharing it <laughs> with you because... I'm still working it out. All right, okay. No, 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 I've, yeah, I've got a few things in the works that I'm working on at the moment in between the three kids and um, the two jobs. So I will get back to that okay. at some point. You've reminded me I need to get back to the computer and flesh it out a little more, Rachel. <laughs> that
0: really is all that question is designed to do. It's to remind people of that thing that they haven't got off their to do list Go yet. Go back to my pitch doc. Exactly. And do some more on Work it. on it. Remember that. Uh, if you weren't doing this, as in working in media, what would you be doing?
1: Wait, dancing. I'd be on Broadway. Yeah, of course. Of course. It'd be yeah. you and I, front and centre, <laughs> a bit of jazz hands. I would secretly
0: really love to be I on I bet Broadway. you would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, I took that as a legitimate answer <laughs> to that question. I can't
1: sing, <laughs> but I, someone could you know sing try. me. I'd mime and I could dance. Okay, yeah. all
0: right, good. Uh, and finally, your advice to people wanting to get into media.
1: Well, I don't know because a lot of people ask me this now and I'm I do realise times have changed. It's harder to get work experience at businesses and stuff like that. But I was prepared to do a lot of work, hard work, with no expectation of what that came with just to learn. Mm. And I don't think people should walk around doing jobs for free endlessly while other people make money off them. But I think um, if you're willing to work hard and volunteer some of your time, if you don't have the skill yet, to learn that skill, I think is a really good thing because I think – Most of the way I do my jobs now, I learnt that on the job. I didn't learn that at university. Mm. Uh, So I think if I hadn't have spent hours and hours and hours in there, I, I wouldn't have gotten to where I got. So, And I also think you have to learn to skip along the top a little bit in this industry as well and it took me a bloody long time to learn that. I think I rode the waves of it very hard early on and it's exhausting so I think you need to ex- expect that there's going to be like really hard times and really good times and try not to ride them too hard and just float
0: along somewhere in the middle. Shit, easier said than done.
1: I know, I mean... <laughs> I don't even know if I can do that yet. That's my aim, one day to be able to.
0: Okay, fingers crossed, yes. fingers crossed. Carrie, congratulations on 10 years of the project. Thank you. And thank you for sitting with me in your freezing cold back room. No. It's been good, hasn't it? It has yeah. been pretty good. I think we've done all right. I think we've done really well. All right, piss off now. <laughs> Thanks for listening to You've Got to Start Somewhere. Thanks. To subscribe to the podcast, check out other episodes, and keep up to date, head to You've Got to Start Somewhere.com.